Kia ora welcome to the panel. Our international Anna, Dean and Connor English with me this afternoon, Friday afternoon. Lovely to have your company as always. Well, it's National Oral Health Day today. Just to highlight the issue in the state of the nation's dental health and a leading dentist well, doesn't mince words. It's appalling, he says. New Zealanders have been challenged to... Choose water over sugary drinks for the entire month of November as part of this campaign. Not the first time we've talked about dental health in New Zealand, but always worth a discussion with us. We have New Zealand Dental Association spokesperson, Dr. Rob Begahol. Kia ora, Rob, and appreciate you making time for us today. Oh, kia ora, Wallace. Pretty strong words there. You know, we don't, as a rule, have good dental health. I would love to know from you, though... Why is it so bad? How did we get here? Well, we've been in crisis for some time here in New Zealand, and and we know that the state of our teeth makes for some shocking statistics. We know that, you know, almost half of all New Zealand kids have a body part rotting. This means that they have rotten teeth. So it's it's, it's heartbreaking taking out teeth from young kids. And I guess the, the main reason we have a dental health crisis here is because of the sugary drink industry. It's the industry who are pushing sugary drinks on our kids and most vulnerable. And what we really need is we need the population to stand up and say enough is enough. And what we really want is, is, is Kiwis to sign up to you know, the sugary drinks uh, campaign. So it's basically switch your sugary drinks over to water and it, you can do that any time in um, November. I just want to sort of clarify that, um uh, uh, Dr. Beekhold, that statistic there, I mean, that is extraordinary. Aotearoa, uh, around half of five-year-olds in New Zealand have teeth that are rotting. I'm thinking now about my uh, little junior at home who is five. Yes, he does clean his teeth yeah. morning and night, and he does have uh, water. I, I just think this is extraordinary, is, and that is right. How does that manifest? Can you explain that more for us? How does that manifest? Well, well, you know, we know that the number one source of sugar in, in the diet for those aged 30 years and under um, comes from sugary drinks. And this is why we're, the Dental Association is so focused on trying to reduce the carnage that sugary drinks cause and also the carnage that the sugary drink industry cause. So obviously if you're drinking sugary drinks, it's going to rot your teeth. And it's amazing how fast um, teeth can uh, rot and dissolve because of the exposure to sugary drinks. And I when think, we, Wallace, it's, all, it's yeah. also important to, to mention that sugary drinks aren't just your cokes and your your V's and your power aids, but also uh, juices. You know, juices are very acidic and also the pack full of sugar as well. Okay, so that includes your fruit juices as well. Um, before we get to, because I'm sure that Connor and Anna will have uh, things to sound this, and just to sort of um, paint that picture more. Was it, was it you? I mean, you were a dentist, and as I understand it, you came to this issue in part because your hand was hurting one day for all the extractions of children you were doing, and you looked out the window in the hospital and you saw a, um, a, a, a drink full of fizzy turn up at the hospital. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember talking with you about that a few years ago. It was a Coca-Cola van del- delivering their sickness to the hospital that I was working at. And just that morning, I'd extracted about 50 teeth from young kids who'd been drinking sugary drinks. So, you know, it's very easy to blame the parents for giving kids sugary drinks, but it's, it's much better to focus on the reasons why kids are drinking sugary drinks. 
you know, we've got this shocking situation where, you know, the All Blacks, for example, are sponsored by a sugary drink company. This is appalling. You know, but can I just, can I also just jump into, Robert, for, 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 for that and for the, uh, a sickness? Uh, I, I love fizzy every now and then. It's not sickness to me. Is it a bit inappropriate of you to say that? Well, you know, ideally, um, we're, we're focusing on, on encouraging all schools in New Zealand to, to, um, to stop selling sugary drinks to kids. Obviously, you know, the odd drink every now and then is not going to do much damage. But this is the situation in New Zealand. We have the third highest sugar consumption rate in the Western world. We have the third highest sugar consumption rate. We've also got a very high obesity rate and a type 2 diabetes rate. So sugar, it's not only bad for your teeth, but it, it also you know, exponentiates the problems that um, lead with obesity and diabetes. Anna Dean. Yeah, it's fascinating, really. And also, I'm very aware of how hard sugar is to give up. It's such an addictive substance. Um, I've been I've been working with that myself, um, yeah. having irritable bowel syndrome, and it's just it's a constant um, pressure. And I remember as a kid being, you know, drinking so much Ribena and apple juice and things, and um, it's it is highly addictive. Um, how how Rob? How do people um, kind of do this campaign? Is this just a, an open entry? You're just encouraging mm. people to, to give it up? Is that, is that oh, what oh, you're doing? Yes. Thanks, thanks, Anna. What we're, what we're trying to do is, is encourage all Kiwis to go on. You can just Google switch to water, and mm-hmm. it's on the New Zealand Dental Association website. There's prizes there as well to encourage people to join up. And what we're trying to do is just get people to think about what they're drinking. And ideally, particularly kids, drinking water is the, is the best option. So you can sign up and ask you a few questions and if you want, you can get you know daily emails to encourage you to to break your addiction. But um, yeah, this is what we're after. And at, at the same time, um, we're also after schools, you know, standing yeah. up and saying, you know, it, it's inappropriate as a school to be providing sugary drinks to kids, particularly you know during the, the day. How do you see this, uh, Connor? And when was the last time you went to your dentist? Uh, <clears throat> I went to my dentist about three weeks ago, oh. um, and I try and go every sort of six months, I suppose. Oh, yeah. um, but I grew up in an environment where we didn't have fluoride, and I did have, uh, you know, I was in the countryside, and I did have a lot of uh, fillings when I was at primary school. And I guess that's right. one of the questions I had was, you know, the impact of fluoride. But just before that, I asked Rob that, um, you know, the numbers that Rob's talking about are phenomenal. Uh, and it's just you blowing know, me away. Yeah, it, it is pretty amazing. But sugar is a terrible bloody substance, uh, and it's it's a bit like I don't know some of these narcotics that we've got. Mm. You know, they just there's not much upside um, to them. And as you say, is you know there's the diabetes and other uh, obesity and all these other implications. And and maybe it is something that we need to think about how we regulate it. Um, but well, the question I yeah, had regulate. was, yes. the question I had was, what about fluoride? Does is that material uh, an, an issue when you've got that amazing figure of fifty percent of kids with rotten teeth? Is well, it, with, with the water fluoridation, you know, we've had the situation where it's up, been up to the councils to make decisions, um, and hats off to the current government to modify the legislation to to give the power to the Director General of Health, um, which streamlines the process. Water, if you live in an area that has water fluoridation and you're a child, you'll have approximately 40% less tooth decay than a comparable child in another city. Adults, we have a reduction of about 20 to 25%. So water fluoridation is a very effective way. But the most important way of reducing your risk of tooth decay 
is to cut back your sugar, uh, particularly sugary drinks. And okay. regulation, Connor, you mentioned regulation. What we need, we need the government to enact evidence-based um, regulations that will reduce the population's consumption of sugar, um, you know, generally targeting the, in- the industry. Okay, now in terms of the schools, uh, I, I had the impression, Rob, uh, or maybe I'm just talking about the new primary school that Little Junior has, uh, you know, been part of and enjoying. Uh, from my perspective, it is primary school. It is a water and milk only environment. Is that not already happening? Well, you'd think so, but approximately about 80% of all primary schools have a, a policy where no sugary drinks are bought on or sold. But the percentage of high schools is a lot less. It's around right. approximately 20%. So what we're really, really after is the high schools to adopt this. And this is what the Minister of Education has had sent out in the consultation. Uh, early in the year, this has been delayed because they had an overwhelming response that said, um, yes, let's get all schools, primary schools and high schools, um, adopting water-only policies. Mm. I mean, it's, it's good for your health, obviously, but it's also good for taxpayers because it reduces the burden on the, on the taxpayers. Just, I mean, look, actually, people are interested in this, Rob, and as you can imagine, quite a few comments. Can I just throw, just throw one at you? Um, my three kids, Rob, are all over 30s and enjoy their sugary drinks and juices. Not one tooth filling amongst them. Have a guess what they do twice a day because of their hard-ass parenting. Okay, so implicit, to, implicit in that, Dr. Beagle, is, of course, that notion of uh, responsibility. What would you say to that? Well, yeah. I think it's it's okay for you know some some of us, but at the end of the day, um, the environment has changed. So it's you know when I was a child, it was it was a lot harder to get access to sugary drinks. Now it's everywhere. So I think what we need is yes, we need some individual responsibility, but what we really need is the government to take note of this and take the issue seriously and start implementing policies that other countries, many other countries overseas, have already implemented. Um, to reduce that, that burden. Thanks for being with us, uh, Rob. Kia ora. That is the New Zealand Dental Association spokesperson, Dr. Rob Beaglehole there. So, yeah, the challenge is to choose uh, water over sugary drinks for the entire month. I, 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 when I say I have the odd fizzy, it is the odd Fanta. It is the odd Coke. Guess what? Love it. A little bit of lemon, but you know what? It's very rare. Mm. I just go it's for coconut very rare. water. Coconut yeah, it's, water. It's, it's, it's kind of once every three months. Mm-hmm. One glass, you know, one bottle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, interesting. Uh, Eighteen past for the panel. We've all heard about the staff shortages inflicting our health sector, and St John's paramedics, in particular, are in dire straits. St John's Deputy Chief Executive of Ambulance Operations, Dan O's, says they are short 182 ambulance personnel, which paramedics are saying is the worst it's been in a quarter century. The result of this is that ambulances have to be moved around between regions to accommodate for a lack of experienced staff. To account for this, St John is launching a major recruitment campaign to attract paramedics from abroad. So to provide a bit of context on this, we are with the New Zealand Ambulance Association Union Delegate, Mark Quinn. Mark, hi. Hi, good afternoon. Has, where have all the paramedics gone, by the way? Well, yeah, that's interesting. Um, they've gone either overseas, we've seen a number of our new qualified out of the city and AUT going overseas 
as you do to do your OE, and they're going over to England and Australia, who are aggressively recruiting through various means uh, for our staff. And we simply probably haven't kept up with um, people just simply retiring or going off into new opportunities now that they're registered, which is there are many other opportunities now um, more than ever for paramedics to work outside St John and Wellington Free. And so the result of this is that some ambulances will now have to have or uh, two M- M- EMTs on board without uh, a paramedic, and this is an issue? Well, it is an issue. It's not um, downgrading what EMTs do because yeah. they have they been the backbone of the ambulance service for many years, but it just simply comes down to skill level and, and the skills including drugs, uh, fluid resuscitation, and other uh, interventions that they have, that paramedics have above an EMT, and um, it is we've, we're losing them. Frankly, this we're just losing them because of work-life balance, pay, conditions. Um, there's, like I said, many factors, and we've actually had a fair number actually just simply retiring. Anna Dean. Yeah, I, I, my, 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 my take on this, Anna, is that. Um, one doesn't necessarily think of this issue too often, and then you need an ambulance. Like, I needed an ambulance last year, and my goodness gracious me, the service provided. And the the level of care was really unreal. Absolutely. I mean, we have such an incredible service here in New Zealand, and, um, you know, people kind of take it for granted yep. in a lot of ways. I have two friends who are ambulance drivers, and... I'm amazed at how they can actually stand there and do that job. And I mean, I, people like I mean myself. If if I see someone else injured or the sight of blood, it just makes me want to pass out. So, I I yeah, I hope this campaign goes really well. How can we encourage people to to help with this campaign, Mark? Well, I think it's understanding. You, you're quite right. It's understanding what they do, and I, and I think many people don't understand what a what a paramedic. Um, can do till mm. they actually call an ambulance and then they see and and often particularly in the, in, um, the critical care paramedic they're performing interventions and skills that many doctors um, even um, do or even hire some actually are quite reluctant to do considering we work in quite an uncontrolled environment mm. so I think it is I don't know if the public can do a lot of, apart from being aware the the issue around uh, filling the ranks up, so to speak, is no different than many other industries, particularly, and in, in we're seeing in, in health with nurses and doctors. We we yes. have simply got a shortage that was always going to occur, um, and a reflection of what was happening overseas. And um, as finally, we've caught up with what has been happening internationally. Yeah, someone says, my friend's daughter is a paramedic and left for the UK in 2018. They actively recruit New Zealanders to go over. Yep. It's more valued uh, over there, better pay, etc. Uh, Connor English. Uh, yeah, look, I was a beneficiary of a, of a paramedic and, a, and a, um, an mm. ambulance. You know, I was, mm. I was on life support and things, and I was pretty, pretty, yeah. uh, pretty happy that the people knew what they were doing. Um, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's really important that we have people who know what they're doing in, in those ambulances. So yeah. I hope we can solve the problem. Uh, and and that, is it an immigration will... thing? Is, is that the biggest issue, that we just need to mm. try and get more people in from overseas? Is that the issue? Or well, it? It's, 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 it is, yeah, there's part, I think there's going to be a number of solutions that are going to try um, or get us there, and I think 
bringing in um, paramedics from overseas, whether they've come from Australia or England or otherwise, will be part of that solution. It's about, but also I think I need to recognise that the job has got so much harder and the workload has got so much higher, you know, particularly with the accountability and responsibility these paramedics, ambulance officers in general carry, that, that has created... Um, or, you know, another level of mental fatigue at times. So when I said um, ambulance officers are retiring, some of that is around the workload and the mental fatigue they've experienced, and they might have been doing it for 20 years, but we've certainly seen an increase in the number of mental health uh, issues related to the work. As you can imagine, you know, there's nothing for a paramedic ambulance officer to be going to maybe two or three cardiac arrests in one night, depending where they live, and then on top of that dealing with, you know, maybe a car accident, then go to a heart attack, and then doing with, dealing with some low acuity work. That's nothing, and that's just on one night or one day shift. Well, to those you represent, Mark, uh, kia ora, um, to, to those listening who um, work in that sector, um, first responders or EMTs, paramedics, critical care paramedics, and thank you very much for being with us here on the panel. Hello, thank you for having me. That is the New Zealand Ambulance Association Union Delegate Mark Quinn there. And it wasn't too recent, was it, uh, uh, Connor, that you had cause to have the services of the ambulance? Uh, no, look, it was back in 2003, actually. Oh, I fell yeah. off a trampoline and banged my head and um, didn't work for 18 months. So, uh, oh, you know, I was intubated and... And um, it was a yeah, pretty scary time. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. Uh, 25 past four. Um, parent of two here, both regular brushers and big drinkers of water, both had multiple fillings and several baby teeth removed. Not everyone is blessed with resilient teeth. And unlike when I was a child, they did not have the benefit of fluoridated water. So, yeah, it goes back to that notion of uh, if you are in an area uh, with fluoride, you fare better teeth-wise as Rob... Bigger hole said, I was recently in a day stay ward for gastroscopy. With me, I was with three preschoolers having their teeth out under anaesthetic. It's heartbreaking. Ouch. Uh, Thank you so much for your company this afternoon. I really appreciate your feedback uh, on all matters. Now, should you be able to decide what colour... You paint your property. What happens when your neighbour paints their house a duck egg blue, a canary yellow? A holiday house in Maumanganui has sparked a stout with the owners deciding to paint the whole house red, not just the door, the whole house a code red, a poppy red, gang colours. That's what it looks like, the neighbours distastefully said. A local service said, hey, keep the dream alive. The owner, Lynn, well, she loves it. She calls it Pahutikawa Red. To give us his verdict, we have Richard Howe of Tauranga's Inside Architecture. Kia ora, Richard. Uh, kia ora, team. Kia ora, panel. Wallace, Anna, Connor. Nice yes. To you today. It's a pleasure. Now, the colour of a house. Let's take a look at this particular example. I mean, it's, let's face it, it's very red. How do oh, you see very it? Very red. Very red. Pahutikawa Red. I looked at the pictures and... Um, it's not quite the house I thought it was going to be, knowing that street quite well. But yeah. I looked at it. It's quite an quite an old old batch. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, um, from what I've seen of it, it's a it's a it's a nice red. Um, All right. Perhaps the rest perhaps the rest of the house is not up to scratch to meet the red. Mm. But that's down to personal opinion, yes. really. Um, you know, architecture is um, subjective at best of the times, mm. and it's a creative environment, really. So. 
And um, sometimes that could blo- sometimes Richard yeah. that good block red. I mean, we have a house and we've got the door red, and I love a, a good red every now and then. But oh. there are so many tasteful colours to choose from. You can have your black white, your half rice yeah. cake white, your half alabaster white, a nice thorned <laughs> and cream. Why go crazy? Oh. Why go crazy? Oh, but once upon a time we looked at the houses getting painted black and we were going, what is going on here? Uh, now every house is black. We've got cedar houses, black houses. We've got black houses with yellow doors and blue doors and green doors. Fair point. Um, yeah, um, from what I know of the couple who painted this house, they're a retired couple. This is their family batch, place to get away. It's vibrant, it's fresh. It's, um, it's highlighted the street for a start, which but, is... But, uh, but Anna... Mm. A thorned and cream. That's what... You, come on. No, no, no. I mean, I no. absolutely loathe driving around Ponsonby these days and oh, everything is just the on. same. It's just these cookie-cutter the houses. It's not the same. It's so boring. It's, 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 it's so it's, uptight. It's pin-neat. Ooh. No, no, no. It's like the Truman Show or something. It's like a... Well, that's, that's, that's inappropriate. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Ponsonby. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I, I think... I mean, it could be so much more bright and vibrant and I, I really dislike... So you, put, the, you support this? I support this and I really dislike the fact that they, uh, the neighbours said it was gang colours or something. I mean when I... That is up, distasteful. I put up a big gate um, in, in, uh, where I live in Pohara and Golden Bay and I got those comments. Oh, it looks like a gang house now. I was like, come on. You know, it's uh, people don't like change. That's that's the thing and I say all power all right, to them. Pro colour, pro ready. Pro colour. All right, Connor English, you wouldn't do this sort of stuff. Uh, well, well, look, I'm sort of with Anna. I, I spent oh. a lot of time driving through Kazakhstan and Russia, and mm. there was a lot of stuff the same there, and a bit of bright red or bright <laughs> yellow uh, or bright blue wouldn't be a bad thing. And I think we are getting pretty homogenised in terms of our colour, aren't we, with mm-hmm. all those, uh, as you call it, you know, thorned and grey or whatever it is. Cream. Thorned cream. and cream. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a particular colour, yeah. and it's very nice. Yeah. It's very tasteful, Connor, yeah. Yeah, well, it's a, you know, that's cool, that's great, but I, I can see if other people want to do something different, you know, good on them. No, oh, I don't know about this. Anyway, yeah. uh, Richard, so, um, look, um, are there any issues with, with, with regard to the bylaw? And can I ask you, I, I know you're not a real estate agent, but is it going to devalue the street? Um, again, that's up to subjectivity on who's looking at the street. It's a very popular street. We've designed a house down that street that was black originally, and now it's been painted white. Um only a real estate agent or a valuer could comment yeah. on whether it's devalued the street. Um, if anything, you're talking about it's polarising the mount. Um, if yeah. anything, I think it's probably time we have this discussion about our modest houses around the country. And not just the big expensive ones, but the little ones that are there. Um, they need to be reinvigorated and not just bowled over. And if these people want to reinvigorate their house and put lovely lands, it's not finished yet. If they want to put lovely landscaping around it and nice trees, um, the red's going to blend in to the little the little environment they've created for themselves and power to them. Is, is, is there any bylaw about the colour of flowers that we're allowed in our gardens? <laughs> no, is oh, that yeah. the next thing? Now yeah, we're going to definitely. have this, you know, colour <laughs> colour rules and regulations. Are we not going to be allowed to have nice red tulips in our garden? Well, um, just for the listeners out there, there's a couple of rules where you are bound by colour of houses, and you most see it mostly in um, affluent subdivisions or mm. where there's a couple of hundred houses or um, multi-units. Now, covenants are placed on a title, which are, uh, is a document that is legally binding. You have to abide by these, and there's a palette of colour normally. 
that you have to follow. It's so interesting. Now, yeah. Richard. So if you don't paint your house a colour that's in that palette, which might be a Dulux or a Rosine colour palette or Torben's spread it round bottles. I don't want to put too many <laughs> plugs out there. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's legally binding. Covenants on a right. title are legally binding, mostly in new subdivisions. Okay, so Richard, you're saying alongside uh, Anna and Connor, live the dream. Uh, follow your heart. <laughs> and if you wanna, yeah, good on you, Richard. Yeah. Hey, kia ora. Thanks for your yeah. time. That's Richard Hale of Tauranga's Inside Architecture. Who are you to say what's tasteful, Wallace? Taste is subjective. Well, not necessarily. Um, you cannot go past half-rice cake white. That is the best colour. It's just so nice. And then you've got a bit of foliage. Your Monstera, love it. Anyway, you're on the panel, RNZ National.